My name is Humble Gray, and I am a Mississippi farmer. It's a big job for a simple farmer to write this here broadcast every week. Not that I don't take joy in it, for I do, giving all you folks the benefit of my years at the plow and keeping you current on goings-on here in Truvo, Mississippi, the events that bless us and those that befall us, but I've no college degree and I've never been a dab hand at the written word. I just pound the keys of my old Royal Safari typewriter till I've turned out something worth talking about. But I've wondered whether I might achieve a higher quality of discourse had I a formal education that encompassed such. I even mentioned it to my good friend Davis McClyde, a stalwart citizen and pious member of the Southern Convention. And lucky I did, too, for it turned out Davis knew just the remedy for my deficits as a wordsmith. It so happens, says he, that I'm taking a writing course myself at the community center over in Zare County. Why, Davis, says I, You never told me you had a desire to set Quill to paper. Well, says he, there's just things inside me what need expressing, I guess. Otherwise, they might just bust out of my head and leave a big hole in my cranium. I don't want that to happen. No, sir, you don't, says I. So Davis, he tells me the instructor's name is Mr. Dudley and that he's a fine and knowledgeable educator. A couple weeks with him, says Davis, and your listeners will be calling you Shakespeare. That's how well you'll write. Well, with such a recommendation, I could hardly not go. So that Thursday evening, Davis and I rode together to Zaire's Community Center for the 7 o'clock class. It was held down in one of the conference rooms where we all sat at a long table with folding metal chairs. There were six of us, and it was quite an amalgamation. A middle-aged housewife from Sledge and a girl of about 19 who I recognized to be Polly Sue, the former fiancé of the erstwhile assistant clerk at the Seed Co-op. There was a construction worker named Rudy, with palms as rough and calloused as those of a good old farmer, and Miss Pham, a Vietnamese gal employed in a nail salon in Lambert. And then, of course, Davis and myself. I noticed that nobody took the chair at the head of the table, and I soon found out why. See, that was reserved for the teacher, who entered right at seven and greeted us with enthusiasm. Good evening, student, says he, a thin, bespectacled fellow who looked every inch the scholar in his tweed jacket with leather patches on the elbows. And welcome to another session where we aim, to paraphrase Socrates, not to fill the vessel, but to kindle the flame. And do I see a new face in the room? Yes, sir, says I. My pal Davis here told me about this here class, so I signed up, and I did not dally, for I trust him implicitly. Very good, says Mr. Dudley, for to quote Euripides, one loyal friend is worth 10,000 relatives. Yes, teacher, says I. We've been buddies for 45 years, and he says you can teach me to write better than I already do. Ah, says the instructor, then I may disappoint you, for I turn once more to Socrates when I say, I cannot teach anybody anything. I can only make them think. Oh, says I, then I guess I'd better leave. As I stood up, Davis grabbed my arm and pulled me back into my seat. You can't leave now, whispers he. That's just his fancy way of saying he can teach you, but without teaching you or something like that. Besides, you're my ride home. So I remained in my chair as Mr. Dudley began class. 
You'll recall, says he, that last week I assigned you to write a poem that delineates the concept of love, i.e., that which is a smoke and is made with the fume of sighs. Romeo and Juliet, Act One, Scene One. Ooh, cried Miss Pham. I have a poem. Pick me, sir, pick me. Teacher's pet, muttered Davis under his breath. Very well, says Mr. Dudley. We'd be delighted to hear your composition. Okay, says she, and she stood to recite, her back ramrod straight. To begin, all day long and without fail, I work on ladies' fingernails, but chemicals I must employ, soon my health they will destroy. Acetone and acetate, my nose and eyes do irritate, and that nail primer you desire burns my skin and throat like fire. Plus toluene, it's clear to see, is killing me hepatically. Those pretty nails you all crave will land me in an early grave. Her recitation finished, Miss Pham bowed and sat down. I understand the sentiment, says Mr. Dudley, but what has that to do with love? Well, says the lady, I'd love not to die from my job. Ah, says the instructor, a fine example then. For to quote the great tragedy in Sophocles, one word frees us of all the weight and pain of life. That word is love. Then he clapped his hands together. Would anyone else like to regale us with their efforts? The room was quiet, so Mr. Dudley says, Oh, come now, surely you don't wish to greet passion with silence, for to turn once again to the wise Euripides, this is slavery not to speak one's thought. Polly Sue cleared her throat and said, I have a poem. It's about my ex-fiancé. Ex-fiancé, says Mr. Dudley. Well, I suppose the course of true love never did run smooth. Midsummer Act One, Scene Two. Yes, sir, says Polly, who also stood to recite. It's titled, What's Bleeping Wrong With You? I don't like swears, so I said bleeping. Is that all right? Lay on, Macduff, says the teacher. But my name is Polly Sue, says she. Yes, it is, says Mr. Dudley. Please go on. So she started to read. What's bleeping wrong with you? We had a very fine romance when we at first had met. I thought twas God and not mere chance united us, I'll bet. It all seemed bright and magical, those days our love was new. But now you've turned things tragical. What's bleeping wrong with you? A manly man I thought you were, responsible and kind. But then strange happenings occurred that proved you'd lost your mind. Like that day when you dressed bizarre in panties and girls' shoes and shook your butt at passing cars. What's bleeping wrong with you? Then next in frilly underwear you tried to rob a bank, but failed at that and went to jail. So now may I be frank? I say without a shred of doubt that this you need, it's true. A doctor who can figure out what's bleeping wrong with you. Polly Sue then plunked back into her chair and Mr. Dudley says, Perhaps he was simply honoring the bard whose Portia, Rosalind, and Viola all took on the raiments of the opposite sex. No, says the girl, I think he's just perverted. Opinion noted, says the instructor. Anyone else? The housewife from Sledge, one Tammy Lynn, then stood up to read. It's an ode to my husband, says she, to which the teacher replied, Sing, O muse, for at the touch of love everyone becomes a poet, if I may quote both Plato and Homer. Homer Simpson, asked the lady. I never heard him talk fancy, except maybe that one episode where he accidentally got baptized by Ned Flanders, something about St. Augustine. Just go on and read, says Mr. Dudley. Okay, says Tammy Lynn, paper in hand. An ode to Jimmy Joe. You lazy slob, you sicken me in ever more amounts. You haven't worked in fifteen years, you stupid no account. 
You lay upon the couch just like a mammoth in a tar pit and wouldn't even move if I set fire to the carpet. What's worse, our boy takes after you. He's dumb and full of sloth. Dear God, please stay my hand before I strangulate you both. The end. Is it me, says the instructor, or do these poems lack affection? Oh, mine has plenty of affection, says Tammy Lynn. Affection for strangling my husband and son. You shouldn't have written that down, says Miss Pham. Now when they turn up dead, the police will finger you right away. Take it from someone with experience in these things. I, I mean, who has no experience in these things. I really have to shut up now. Believe me, honey, says Tammy Lynn. Once I get on that stand and tell my story, no jury on earth will convict me. All I need now is one of those garrote things, you know, like they used at the end of The Godfather to take out Connie's husband. All right, says Mr. Dudley. Is there anyone here who actually likes your spouse? Oh, I do, says Rudy, the construction worker. It was love at first sight. Ah, says our teacher. We're both deliberate. The love is slight. Whoever loved that loved not at first sight. Christopher Marlowe. Uh-huh, says Rudy. Well, okay. Here's my poem. It's called Steel Magnolia. Hey, says Polly Sue. Is that like that Steel Magnolia's movie with Julia Roberts, which I worship, incidentally, except where she dies? To which Rudy replied, I was unaware of such. Anyway, Steel Magnolia, alternate title to come. At the bar that very night, upon which our eyes did meet, I thought your frame a rare delight, like reinforced concrete. The joist where arm met shoulder and the eye-beam of your hips just made me all the bolder to both tongue and groove your lips. You're built just... You're built like a brick uh, outhouse with a shape I've long adored. How glad I am that you're my spouse, because you're stacked like gypsum board. I noted that Rudy's eyes were tearing, and he apologized for the emotional display. I left out the part where her belly's flat as drywall, says he, sniffling, to which Mr. Dudley replied, Speak of the spring and foisome of the year. The one doth shadow of your beauty show, the other as your bounty doth appear, and you in every blessed shape we know. That's pretty good, too, says Rudy. Did you just make that up? No, says our instructor. That was Sonnet 53. Oh, says Rudy. It would have been even better if he'd added something about cross-bracing and damp-proofing. I'm sure the bard would have appreciated your suggestion, says Mr. Dudley. Then he asked Davis if he were ready to, quote, demonstrate his facility with verse. Yes, sir, says my friend, getting to his feet and withdrawing his work from a manila folder. I, too, have written a pen to my wife. Splendid, says the instructor. Please proceed. Here goes, says Davis. It's called Strong Arms, Gentle Heart. Those vice-like arms of power with those biceps thick as trees that grasp me like a flower leave me weakened at the knees. That muscled chest and belly, husky voice and musky smell turn me into jelly as my passion starts to swell. And oh, those eyes of azure only further light the fire of uncontrolled and impure dreams of unbridled desire. So lift me up and carry me, a slave who can't resist the blazing hot intensity of agony and bliss. Well, sir, the room was quiet for a mite thereafter, till I said, Gee, Davis, I'd no idea your wife's arms were so strong. They just kind of look like regular arms to me. Oh, says Davis, yeah, they're, they're pretty strong. She's, uh, she, she's got strong arms. I then pointed out that her eyes are actually brown, not the color he described, but he insisted he was just using uh, what you call poetic license. Besides, says Davis, if the light catches them right, they've got that sort of azure tint to them. I mean, 
We've been married a long time, so I should know. True enough, says I, true enough. A fine effort, says Mr. Dudley. In fact, would you mind staying after class to discuss it? Surely, says Davis, and then the teacher turned to me. As the newest member of our group, says he, I don't suppose you came prepared with a composition of your own. As a matter of fact, says I, I do have something I could read. I can't say it's as good as the rest of y'all's work. Now, now, says Mr. Dudley, if I may again quote Plato, those who wish to sing always find a song. Well, says I, these are words of praise for my beloved better half. I wrote them down some time ago and carry them in my wallet, at which point I removed a tightly folded paper and opened it. This verse is entitled, To Elspeth, Who Lives in the Storm Cellar. I've loved you, dear, for all I'm worth. You've been a gift from Jesus. Our bond so strong, no force on earth exists that could release us. There's just one little wrinkle, though, betwixt you and your feller. The fact that you live down below, a hiding in the cellar. Uh, excuse me, says Mr. Dudley. Did you just say your wife is hiding in the cellar? That's right, says I, the storm cellar these past two years. Is there a specific reason, asked he. Well, says I, it seems my Elspeth is convinced that... Kim Jong-un of North Korea is aiming his nuclear arsenal directly at Truvo, Mississippi. I can't say why she thinks that, and I've tried to explain that there are likely more prominent targets for his weaponry, but she remains adamant that there's a big fat bullseye on our town. I see, says the instructor. Well, as Plato told us, courage is knowing what not to fear. Carry on. So I continued. You used to fix a pyre, too, and wash and sow and mop, the things a farm wife ought to do whilst I would raise the crops. But now the house has gone to seed, the floors are scuffed and yeller, and all because you feel the need to hide inside the cellar. I curse you, North Korea, and I promise, Mr. Kim, if I should ever see you, I will tear you limb from limb. Then I'll throw out your atom bombs and call my wife to tell her that all is safe and all is calm, so please get out the cellar. There was applause round the table, very encouraging for a newcomer. Heartfelt, says the teacher. I look forward to your continued contributions. Now, for next week, I'd like all of you to write a short story regarding a memorable encounter. Well, that sounded right up my alley, since I'd once met the second cousin of a Dan Quayle impersonator at the Mississippi State Fair in Jackson. Nice fella, too, not all full of himself as you'd expect a man of consequence to be. As we were filing out of the room, Davis stayed behind, as Mr. Dudley had requested, and since we'd driven in together, I waited out in the hallway till they were finished discussing my friend's assignment. The door was closed, so I couldn't hear what was being said, but it must have been a zestful exchange, because I could make out a couple of loud but incoherent verbalizations. After about ten minutes, they both came out smiling, though I noted that Davis was, for some reason, walking somewhat bow-legged. Anyway, I hoped that one day I could write a piece of such quality that it would merit special attention from the teacher, but I'm a bit of a plotter in that department, so I won't wager on it. No, sir. Play me out, Zeke. <laughs>